You'd think less than two years after the very public failure of the COVID vaccines that more people in this country would be skeptical of brand new pharma products. And maybe they are, but they don't seem very skeptical of Ozempic, which is a diabetes drug that apparently, at least in the short term, can help people lose weight. And on one level, you can see why they're not skeptical. This is a very fat country. That's a huge problem. And a lot of people, a lot of us, wouldn't mind losing 20 pounds by taking a pill. So why shouldn't we? Well, we thought it'd be interesting to hear the other side, a side that you are not hearing on the question of Ozempic from someone who knows a lot about it. Callie Means is the founder of TrueMed. He once worked for Pharma. He definitely does not now. And he joins us today in studio. Kelly, thanks so much for coming on. Pumped to be here, Tucker. So you want to lose 20, and I'm speaking from experience, you want to lose 20 pounds, you don't really want to stop eating pizza. This seems like a super quick way to get healthier. Um, why wouldn't you take Ozempic? Why shouldn't I take Ozempic? There's three big reasons Ozempic is very problematic. And I think really the Rosetta Stone to understanding what's gone wrong in healthcare and frankly, pharma industry corruption. The first point I want to make is that if a fish tank is dirty, you clean the tank. You don't drug the fish. And in America right now- <laughs> So they won't notice. <laughs> in America right now, we've got a very dirty tank. 50% uh, of teens and 80% of adults are overweight. And this has happened in just a generation. We didn't become systematically lazier in the past generation as Americans and frankly suicidal. Um, something has happened. And the core mistake of Ozempic is that Obesity is not an ozempic deficiency. Obesity is not the root cause of the problem. Obesity is one branch of the tree of underlying metabolic dysfunction that's ravaging our country. Um, as we talked about, with over 50% of Americans having prediabetes now, 33% of, of young Wait, adults- most Americans have prediabetes? Oh, it's by some measures, it's up to 60%- Of the and, whole country? Uh, of adults and 33% of young adults and teens. And you have a diabetes doctor, you know, just a generation ago, wouldn't see one child in their entire careers uh, with diabetes. Now, diabetes, which, which again is cellular dysfunction, is cellular disruption, um, totally caused by environmental factors and what we're eating. That's um, that's close to becoming right uh, upwards of fifty percent of kids. It's thirty three percent and growing radically. Um, teens, uh, twenty five percent have fatty liver disease, which is something you only used to see in elderly alcoholics. So there's a there's a metabolic health crisis um, that's caused by decisions, right? The USDA, which is completely corrupt, the guidelines that set nutrition standards, 95% of the guideline committees paid for by food companies, they say that a two-year-old, that 10% of their diet could be added sugar. We have more money from agriculture subsidies in America today go to cigarettes, go to tobacco than vegetables. 90% of subsidies go to highly processed food. We've propped this industry up. Uh, food stamps, right, which 15% of Americans depend on for nutrition, 10% of all food stamps funding goes to soda. We're the only country in the world that allows that. So we goes have to soda? Goes to soda. So, so, the, so the U.S. government pays people to drink soda? We, The U.S. government, direct from the federal treasury, more than $10 billion per year go from the federal treasury to soda companies through the food stamp program. The number one item purchased with food stamps in America is addictive diabetes water. We prop that up with food stamps. As we talked about last time, I actually used to work and consult with Coke, and we paid the NAACP and other groups to say it was racist to, to take that away. Um, we totally rigged the debate. So through a corrupt system, we actually subsidize soda. We do 10 of these things, right? We do 10 easily identifiable things that are causing us, frankly, to be poisoned. And instead of talking about the root cause, we're saying that a weekly injection that you have to take for your entire life that costs $20,000 per patient, 
when 80% of American adults are overweight or obese, we're saying that is the answer for obesity. Um, we have a dirty tank and pharma has basically changed our consensus reality to say, you know, when all these things are happening all at once due to environmental factors, our savior, what we, you do the math on $20,000 per patient, 80% of American adults, we're talking, and this is clear on Wall Street, food stocks are going down, pharma stocks are going up because this is, they're doing cartwheels on Wall Street. This is on track because of government funding, because we are stand to put trillions of government funding into this drug to be the most successful drug in American history. So what, uh, wow, um, there's a lot there. But let me just get back to the individual decision Great. to take or not to take this drug. So you're overweight, you have pre-diabetes, and your doctor says, you know, what you would say, which is that's a very serious thing to have. Just because it's common doesn't mean it's not bad, it is bad. And this drug can cure it. Why wouldn't you do that? It segues really well into the second issue why Ozempic is so problematic. So on a societal level, you know, I think anyone that agrees, you know, if you're just just looking at this issue, um, you know, putting everybody and pumping everyone with Ozempic for their lives isn't the first thing you do to solve obesity. But even if it was perfect, no. even if it was right, even if it was perfect. But the problem is when you get to the individual level, this drug medically is a absolute disaster. Medically? Medically, it's a disaster. So all you need to know is that Novo Nordics, the company that makes this drug, recently passed LVMH to become the most valuable company in Europe. So this this drug, this company, most valuable company in Europe, they don't allow this drug for obesity in Europe. Almost all of Novo Nordics revenue is coming from taking advantage of Americans. This is not the first line of defense for obesity in any European country. It's not approved by the government regulators. They are saying on their stock calls that they're, all of their growth is coming from the US. They're taking advantage of a broken US system in the United States. And when you dive into it, even people in the United States who are getting government funding, insurance funding for this drug, don't have to pay for it. 30% of them go off the drug within three months. So even though they're fully being paid for it, we're being told this is a lifetime drug, there's lawsuits coming just reported in the past couple of days on gastrointestinal issues and stomach paralysis. The drug itself essentially is uh, stomach paralysis. Um, what, what is stomach paralysis? The, 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 the drug, the, the, what it does is essentially it, it, it sterilizes, it stomach, uh, paralyzes your stomach um, to, to make you not be able to process food correctly. And there's studies now saying that that stomach paralysis, the really uh, messing with your ability to digest food, actually stays after you go off the drug. So there's lawsuits now with people with severe gastrointestinal issues after coming off the drugs that's being pronounced and that that's coming out in lawsuits. Um, additionally, because of that, you're consistently seeing patients who go off the drugs uh, gain the weight back. So that that that's almost, uh, I think, universally accepted even by Novo Nordics. When you go off the drug, you gain the weight back. But again, we're seeing most people that take the drug within the first year come off it because the gastrointestinal issues, the stomach issues are so pronounced. Additionally, the EU, again, where this company is based, uh, just launched a, uh, a a probe into suicidal ideation caused by Ozempic. You can't even make this up. But the EU is doing a, uh, a a massive probe because there's so many reports of increased depression and increased suicide. Now, I was debating a Harvard doctor about six months ago, and I, I brought this up because it's kind of obvious. Uh, your serotonin, what produces your contentment and happiness, 95% is made in the gut. And again, Ozempic essentially is gut dysfunction. So when you mess with the serotonin and mess with the gut, a lot of unexpected things happening. And very understandably, and really what's to be expected, is we're actually seeing reports 
of a mass increase in mental health disorders and even suicidal ideation uh, from Ozempic. Um, you know, kind of you just back up and ask, you know, this miracle drug is too good to be true. It's really coming through. Wait, so um, you're saying there is. could be a downside? It's not perfect. Thirty percent of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I want to say this, and and, and 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 I'm a libertarian. You know, I think uh, people should be able to take Ozempic. I think most drugs should be legal. Frankly, um, the problem is where the rubber really hits the road is there is an all-out assault to convince us that this is the appropriate drug. Again, th this is the target market. This is why the stocks are popping and why Wall Street's going crazy. It's the biggest TAM, the biggest target market for any drug in American history. It's 80% of, of American adults, uh, but it's being fast-tracked. You wouldn't believe this, but the American Academy of Pediatrics recently said that they recommend this as a first line of defense for teens. And the study basing that decision for the American Academy of Pediatrics to say that every obese or overweight teen, which is 50%, should take this drug, was a 68-week study. We had a 68-week study for a lifetime recommendation to 50% of teens in America to, to receive these injections. So, so I guess nothing would surprise me coming from the American Academy of Pediatrics, which seems really like a vector for badness, yeah. um, given their performance during COVID. However, you just still have to wonder how how did that happen? That seems reckless. Like, how could a body like that, which has some residual moral authorities because of its name, how, how could they do that? You are transitioning like perfectly uh, into the third point, which is that the reason Ozempic, I think, is such a important story in America today, is because it's really again, it's it's the Rosetta Stone of understanding corruption. Um, our institutions, particularly the healthcare industry, uh, has completely let us down. And you just step back and think about it. Pharma is the largest spender on TV news ads. It's the largest spender. Nova Nordisk specifically is the largest spender on foundational obesity research. It's the largest spender on uh, medical to medical groups like the AAP. It's one of the largest um, uh, funders of actual civil rights groups. So you actually can't even believe this. But Novo Nordics is paying the NAACP to say that not supporting Ozempic is a civil rights issue. So you're racist if you're against giving kids a diabetes drug? It's on the NAACP website, and the NAACP is a registered lobbyist for Ozempic, saying that what? you are a racist because there's disproportionate issues uh, with obesity in certain communities, that you're a racist for not supporting government funding for Ozempic. Of course. And the NAACP takes money from the drug maker? They're a registered lobbyist for the drug maker. How can the NAACP be a registered lobbyist they for have anybody? A, they have a lobbying organization. They have to declare who their lobbying clients are. And as a reported in NPR very recently, they are registered as a lobbyist for Novo Nordics. And on their website, they're saying it is an uh, example of systemic racism to not support federal funding for Ozempic. So this is what I saw working for Pharma. You just have to ask who people trust. People trust the medical groups. They trust civil rights groups. They trust the media. You have a situation where, uh, additionally, Novo Nordics, and this is reported, has given $30 million in direct bribes to obesity doctors. You would be hard-pressed to find a doctor who treats obesity in this country who has not received some kind of donation, not not research grants, but direct consulting grants from Novo like Nordics. Like just sending them cash? Exactly. So How can doctors take cash from drug makers? Oh, this is this is what's done. The drug makers spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year in direct 
cash payments to doctors. But you can't get the drug except with a script written by the doctor. Yeah, who, prescription. Who, 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 who take direct consulting fees from? How can that be legal? This is how, this is you know what you watch uh, things about the opioid crisis and how the opioid uh, completes the same playbook. You know, I actually when I was working for pharma, the opioid crisis uh, was in full effect, and there was a panel in 2012, and the panel was full of outside experts recommending guidance on opioids. The head of that panel was a man named Dr. Philip Pizzo, who was the dean of Stanford Med School at the time. He was a pain specialist. At the moment he was appointed to that panel, Stanford received a grant from Pfizer, who's one of the largest opioid makers, of $3 million for pain research. He appointed 90% of that panel, who are also conflicted, who received direct research and personal consulting fees from opioid makers, and they released re relaxed opioid standards. This is exactly what's happening in obesity. You have Dr. Fatima Stanford, the head of obesity research at Harvard, pay tens of thousands of dollars by Novo Nordics, just started a new- Directly? Directly. Direct, no, no, not not to mention, of course, millions of dollars of research grants. She's been paid tens of thousands well, of dollars. Well, how can Harvard allow that? There, there are no conflict of interest rules in medicine. Harvard uh, is supporting her. And the NIH recently, it came out that 8,000 uh, research grants went to university professors who also have a direct conflict of interest uh, with the topic and the drug they're studying. How can the doc, I mean, how can you be a physician even a teaching physician and, and do that. I mean, that's so obviously unethical. It's so obvious, it's, it's so uh, omnipresent that this isn't, it isn't discussed. I mean, you're, you're saying this like, it, it's obvious, it's manifestly obvious. You hear this, most Americans are outraged. This is like, you know, you're swimming in water, you don't realize you're in water. This is how academia is. The food industry, if you, you know, taking it to food, which is making us sick, spends 11 times more on foundational nutrition research than, than the NIH. Pharma is the lifeblood, right, of foundational scientific research in this country. And then you get to the NIH, of course, it's a revolving door between government and, and industry. Um, and the vast majority of NIH grants go to pharma research. So, so the NIH is basically a grant-making organization, and this is just statistical, almost all going to research that has conflicts of interest with pharmaceutical drugs. The problem here is that Every institution, all these institutions fundamentally make more money when we're sick. Ozempic doesn't cure obesity. It manages obesity for life. And that's a problem. Statins don't. I'm sorry. I should have asked at yeah. the outset. You've made a couple references to it for life. Is that as advertised? Oh, no, no. That, that's so the if, if I sign up for Ozempic tomorrow, the physician will tell me you got to take this forever. Those are the instructions. Yes. They, they, they admit that there's unknown metabolic problems <laughs> if you go off. But that, that, that's, 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 um, that's on the box. No, no, this is a lifetime injection. The key thing here, Tucker, and, and, and again, getting the corruption, right? You're paying off the doctors. You're paying off the medical groups. 50% of TV news funding. I mean, you know, I, I oh, think I, it's- I've seen it. Yeah, and, <laughs> uh, and you know, there's, RFK's talked about this back in the day with Roger Ailes. When you're, when 50% of your bills, speaking in the choir here, but 50% of your bills are paid by um, a certain interest, why didn't the news media have any curiosity during COVID, why people were dying of COVID. Metabolically healthy people weren't dying of COVID. This is where the corruption and really where it all ties together. I, I'm sorry, will you describe that in a little more detail? We had probably the biggest event in American history since World War II, where we shut down the country, yes. where we really, I think, showed our weakness uh, just physically and mentally as Americans. You know, American COVID deaths were substantially higher uh, than other countries. And research, you know, it, it's not argued, has come out saying that the, the COVID was a foodborne illness. Um, dying of COVID 
was a foodborne illness. If you were metabolically healthy, if you had stable cholesterol, stable fasting glucose, weren't obese, you didn't die of COVID. Um, COVID disproportionately, overwhelmingly, even among older people, affected people with comorbidities. And we're a lot sicker in America. And the comorbidities were caused by eating bad food, mostly. Comorbidities are obesity, heart disease, diabetes. Those are the main comorbidities. That, so if, if you did not have those, you were essentially not impacted by COVID and had an almost 0% chance of dying of COVID. So the media, though, right, who's heavily funded by pharmaceutical companies, didn't have any curiosity about that, didn't have any curiosity. Maybe this is a 9-11 moment that we're not at our best in, as America, right? We are a sick, depressed, infertile population. Sperm count is down 50% in just the past generation. 25% of women now have PCOS, the leading cause of infertility. We are having trouble reproducing as a species. And these are all connected. And there was a moment to talk about this, but instead the media, the government institutions who are paid by pharma, pushed a pharmaceutical uh, solution with trillions of dollars of airtime uh, as, as the solution to our crisis. This, this was one of the greatest public policy mistakes in American history. What, after coming off of the worst public policy failure, I think one of the one of the worst in American history with the COVID response on every level, you know, keeping the bars open and shutting down the schools um, to, to pushing a, an effective pharmaceutical solution instead of root cause solutions. We're being asked to trust pharma when 80% of the American people, their bodies are like rebelling against them um, with obesity, which are clearly a sign of, of underlying issues where Ozempic and daily, you know, weekly shots is not the root cause. This, this just on its face doesn't make sense. And then you trace the corruptions. Again, Ozempic is paying off everyone. They are one of the five largest funders, the company itself, one of the five largest funders of news ads, one of the you know top research funders of obesity research, largest funders to university on the obesity topic. And, and the thing I, you know, kind of, kind of ram home here, Tucker, is you just have to look where the money is. So if you actually look at the analyst reports that are propping up these stocks, they're assuming an increase in obesity. So you talk about all the, like the Novo Nordisk's largest company uh, in Europe. They literally, in, in the, where the money hits the road, where people are investing billions of dollars, they're assuming increased rates of obesity over the next 10 years in America. You actually, I was talking to a, a doctor at Harvard, uh, they, you know, they're underwriting a loan for a new obesity center where they can, where they can treat an issue as epic. Those loans have projections for growth of obesity. They're not projecting that increased ozempic is going to decrease obesity. The loans that are underpinning these medical centers, if you go to any, any city in the country, the biggest, most beautiful building is, is you know, some kind of new pediatric you know, obesity center or cardiology center. Um, the, the loans assume increased rates of conditions. So fundamentally, we have the largest industry in the country, healthcare, not asking Imagine the leader saying, how do we reverse obesity? How do we cure obesity? They're not asking that. They're saying, how can we actually say obesity is not your fault? Oprah, who's involved with Weight Watchers, just apologized for preaching personal accountability over the past decades. She said, it's not personal accountability. We're supporting Ozempic. This is becoming, obesity is becoming something. Do you think Oprah got paid? She's highly involved with Weight Watchers. Yeah, Weight Watchers has shifted from a personal accountability organization that it's been um, preaching for decades and is now a prescriber of Ozempic. They've totally changed because Ozempic is a better business model because you never go off of it. This is insane. So maybe one of the reasons this is um, 
accepted, people don't see it as totally crazy as I do. I don't take Advil, so I, all of this seems crazy to me. But the average, say, 65-year-old person in this country right. is on how many drugs? The, uh, about, about seven. Seven. Yeah. And not just intermittently, but like over chronic. years. Chronic. Chronic. Uh, 90, 90 plus uh, percent of funding for medicine dollars is around chronic lifetime. So it's more recurring revenue. So d describe what that looks like, like the scale of it. Yeah, I think I think again we're so desensitized to this we don't understand how crazy That's right. how much of a failure it's been. Well, I'll give you an example. Of my mom. So my mom was seventy one and went you know for a checkup and was told uh, by the doctor she was healthy, and she was actually at the time on seven um, lifetime medications. So she was on you know maybe a decade before had high cholesterol was prescribed a statin. And the message from the doctor was, no problem. Most, you know, the majority almost of people your age are on a statin. No problem. That's a rite of passage. Then she had high fasting glucose. Again, that's that's basically prediabetes, which majority of people have. Metformin, one of the most prescribed drugs in the country, high blood pressure. So she has these comorbidities that are almost seen as like rites of passage. You know, it's, it's a rite of passage for, for a man over 40 to be on a statin. The majority are. Um, so, so these were all kind of normal things. So as we've treated everything in silos, that's a lie. Heart disease, diabetes, in many ways, depression, Alzheimer's, they're, they're, they're branches of the same tree. They're, they're, they, we've actually lied uh, saying those are different conditions, seeing four different doctors for four different treatments that don't even talk to each other. So we're, we're, we're managing the symptoms instead of seeing those symptoms as a gift and realizing that we have a root cause metabolic crisis. That's why the more stands we prescribe, the more heart disease goes up. The more metformin we prescribe, the more diabetes goes up. The more SSRIs we prescribe, which are now 25% of women. The higher the suicide rate goes. We're, we're seeing skyrocket. So, so we're siloing everything. And literally- Wait, wait I'm, so there's so many questions. Yeah. So 25% of women are on SSRIs? We have a societal dynamic where 25% of women in the United States are on a medication. And I'm not just flatly anti-drug, but this is a societal dynamic, Tucker. We have 25% of women taking something that fundamentally numbs you out from reality. Um, and and we don't even blink an eye at that. And depression, mental health disorders, anxiety, suicide. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death for young adults. Um, SSRIs are the after drug after drug ODs. Yeah, uh, and uh, which which I think could be related. And um, SSRIs. You talk to any high schooler now and, and look in the it's the first line of defense. I mean, it is prescribed like candy when it, to children. Oh, yes. SSRIs. Oh, oh, SSRI prescription rates are skyrocketing among teens. You talk to any high school counselor, any, anyone at any high school, this is the first line of defense when a child- I would child... never talk to a high school counselor under yeah. any circumstances. Yeah, well, that's but... that's very smart. Um, but um, yeah, they're, they're skyrocketing among kids and there's actually a black box warning on uh, SSRI's label actually saying that it increases suicidal ideation among children and they're widely prescribed to children. Not to mention the fact that 20% of high school seniors are on essentially methamphetamines, Adderall, uh, which if you read the book Blitzed, um, actually uh, traces the history. It was Adderall was developed by Nazi Germany as a tool for Nazi soldiers to be more aggressive, and now yes. is prescribed uh, widely along with SSRIs to to kids. Oh, um, one thing I'm trying to keep track of everything yeah. you're saying, uh, all of which is checkable. Yeah, I, I assume on the internet. Um, statin drugs are prescribed to the majority of American men over forty. Uh, the last rate, I think, I think 2019, uh, the last study I said was 45%. And I think there's reports that now post-COVID, it's 
it's it's it's it's close to fifty percent. So what's the downside of statin drugs? Oh, there's wild research coming out. I mean, the high the highest level, just even if the drugs don't have no side effects, heart disease isn't a statin deficiency. What statins to me at the most important level represent that we have a moral hazard, right? Fundamentally, when you're prescribed that statin, you're told by the doctor that you're doing something. When you're prescribed the Ozempic, the doctor, Fatima Stanford on 60 Minutes, who's you know paid off doctor from Ozempic, said, throw willpower out the window. This is a brain disease. Food isn't the problem. It, it, it's a medical issue. Take Ozempic. Do not worry about what you're eating. This is exactly what Purdue Pharma said about pain. Yeah. So, 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 you have, so you have these messages. You have the statins. You're doing something. You now can eat what you want to eat. You, you wouldn't even believe this, but in until uh, 2018, and Dr. Robert Lustig, who's a hero of mine, has pointed this out, an endocrinologist at uh, UCSF, the American Diabetes Association said that as long as you take your medications, you do not need to change your diet as a diabetic. So you literally have guidance from the American Heart Association, from the American Diabetes Association, now from the obesity industrial complex, saying that if you take these drugs, you, you're good. But that's a lie because there's never been a drug in American history for a chronic condition that has lowered the rate of that chronic condition. What's the cost of all that? Just diabetes? Well, with diabetes, uh, this is the root cause. Again, it's a misnomer to see this as an isolated condition. Almost 100% of people with Alzheimer's have prediabetes or, or diabetes. Diabetes is one of the- Seriously? Alzheimer's is now called type 3 diabetes. The most highest indicator you can have for dementia or Alzheimer's is some kind of blood sugar dysregulation. If you have normal fasting glucose levels, your chance of having any type of dementia is very, very low. Uh, d dementia is, is highly tied. Again, I don't even like the word using the word diabetes. Our cells, diabetes is cellular dysregulation caused by our environment or food. Um, again, the majority of people in this country have some form of of that happening inside their bodies because our environment, and this is unprecedented. So diabetes is really the root cause. But if you just take diabetes, you know this is, this is one of the biggest line items in the US budget. Um, we're spending, if you add up all the line items we're spending on healthcare, just, just to manage diabetes, it's more than the defense budget. Um, what's wait, truly- wait. We spend, the U US government spends more managing diabetes than it does on defense? What, what is going, if you want to stack rank what's, what would bring down the American Republic, it's not, you know, marginal rates of military spending. It's not, you know, what the marginal tax rate is. It, 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 our biggest line item in our budget, the biggest part of our economy is healthcare. And it's also the fastest growing industry. Healthcare is the largest and the fastest growing industry in the United States. The bulk of that spending is coming from government. And as it grows, it produces worse results. It is not slowing down. It's gonna be 40% of the budget in about 15 years. And it's only growing. There's nothing stopping this trend. And as that's happening, we're becoming an infertile, depressed, sicker population at an almost exponential rate. We're going to cease to exist as a country because we let that happen. And you look at the budget and you look what's really going to destroy the budget in, in, in our country. Defense is, defense is a small part of it. It is healthcare costs. It is, it is metabolic dysfunction. And is diabetes the biggest? Di diabetes and prediabetes is, is the root of almost everything. You, don't, you, you have very few people with heart disease, with many forms of cancer, with dementia, with all these. It, it, this, is, this is the lie that's being told. When my sister graduated Stanford Medical School, she had to choose between 42 specialties. She, did, she was a head of neck surgeon, and then the fellowship was going to, 
to, to, to be even a smaller part of the body, one millimeter uh, of the of the fit. That's what doctors devote their lives to, like little, literally a yes. millimeter. That's a lie. That's a lie. When she was cutting out sinus inflammation, right, she looked at a patient's report. They had 60 pages. They had prediabetes. They had depression. They had heart issues. She didn't speak to those doctors. And she was never trained how the inflammation that she's cutting someone's face open and, and taking out, not once at Stanford Med School was she trained or even brought up why that person has inflammation in the first place. That surgery, you know, Medicaid will pay $20,000 for that, along with all the other comorbidities the patient has. We're training doctors, right? Medical schools, pharma companies, hospitals, doctors, nurses, insurance companies. They make money when people are sicker for longer periods of time. The way to do that is to silo conditions. That's, what, that's why Ozempic is so important because obesity is not a siloed condition. Obesity is a visible example that we are losing our way as Americans and treating that in a silo is, is just medically not going to work and it's happening because of corruption. So, but it is, and I, yeah. I should just say I agree with everything. Yeah. <laughs> but even if I disagreed, it doesn't matter. I would say Ozempic is a response to an actual problem. You conceded that. So if Ozempic isn't the answer, what is? If you were an alien that came down to earth and saw what's happening in America, and I want to make this clear, it's happening specifically in America. I mean, our obesity rate, diabetes rate, um, heart disease rate, it's, it's, it's multiples more than some European countries and Japan, countries like that. There's something unique happening uh, with the environment in America. And if you came down an alien that was smart, that kind of you know had a veil of ignorance and looked around and you saw 80% of Americans consuming such toxic things in their environment that their bodies are literally cellular, is the visible result of cellular dysregulation. Obesity is literally the cells crying out for help and showing that they're dysregulated, which is represents stuff happening invisibly in the body, such as all the chronic conditions we've talked about. If you look at that happening, highly related to mental health disorders, highly related to infertility, all connected, you would never say, let's keep everyone sick and give them marginal drugs. You would just never do that. We have been completely gaslighted by pharma. You know, e Elon, who I, I, you know, I think is the most important American in the country, but has uh, recently said these drugs are good. I, I think it's it, it it's a little bit unlike him because we're not analyzing the problem and assessing what the root cause solution is. And I think we've frankly been we've changed our reality. We've changed our our perception of kind of what reality is based on pharma thinking that these marginal tools and we've lost our way, right? The, 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 the drug for every condition in a silent state hasn't worked. We're all getting sicker. We've totally lost our way. Peter Tia pointed out that if you control uh, for infectious diseases, you know, and acute things that would kill you right away, life expectancy really hasn't grown in the past hundred years. Um, with the almost a hundred percent of life expectancy increase, which we all herald, is acute issues, things that would have killed you right away, right. childhood mortality. If you actually, um, chronic- Polio, appendicitis, yeah, stuff. all that stuff. Yeah. And um, so we actually have really lost our way. And if there's one moment to kind of, as a country say, can we change course a little bit? It's this, because this is the biggest issue. This is 80% of Americans. It is gonna just do the math. In America, when drugs are prescribed widely, costs don't go down. You're not allowed to lower drug prices if they're prescribed widely. And the moment Ozempic is approved, which is an all out battle to do uh, for government uh, funding, 
there's an incentive for every obesity doctor in the country to prescribe this to 80% of American adults and 50% of US teens. It's the, the government then can't tell the doctor what to prescribe. So you've got a $20,000 cost. This is 20,000. That, that price is not coming down. Do the math. 50 million. We, we have much more than 50 million obese people. 50 million is well over a trillion dollars a year. This is why the stocks are going up, right? So the battle here, and this is my point to Elon and, and a lot of people, I want you to understand the battle is what are we going to do societally about the metabolic health crisis? And what should we do? Like you're in charge. I know you said you're a libertarian, but let's just imagine you were a fascist and you could do whatever you wanted. What would you do? It's not what I, I think the president can do numerous things tomorrow that will dramatically, I think the biggest, one of the biggest lies we're being told is this can't be turned around quickly. We did not have a metabolic health crisis a generation ago, and we can turn this around very quick. I don't think the American people are, are mass suicidal, frankly, which is what we're acting. We have an addiction crisis. I can give you a couple right now. The president tomorrow can tell the FDA that the US can no longer be the only country in the world that allows pharma ads on TV news which isn't to influence to consumers, it's to influence the news. Pharma buys off the news. And the FDA can issue an order uh, tomorrow saying that that's no longer the case, that we can't have uh, uh, pharma spending on TV news. That is an executive decision. It can be issued tomorrow. And it would totally undercut the ability of the pharmaceutical industry to control our information. Food stamps, the ag bill. So you think that pharma, I'm sorry, yeah. you're throwing so hard. Yeah. For, for yeah. my aging pizza yeah. brain, it's hard to keep up. But you're saying... That pharma buys TV spots not to convince people to ask for specific drugs from their physicians, but to subvert the news business? This is a, this is an open secret working for pharma. Well, I never even thought of that. This, this is an open secret. The, the, the kind of um, silly ads you see between the news breaks, the points of that is not, it's largely to impact the customer. But but the, the pharma's already got that. They've already bought off the doctors. They're, they're good on that. No, no, this is an open secret. The news ad spending from pharma is a public relation lobbying tactic, essentially, to buy off the news. The, the news is a refer... They're not investigating pharma. There's a oh, I've noticed. The, the, news has become, the news has become basically a referee that you were a terrible um, anti-science Luddite for asking why, you know, the, the shots that we require our kids to get that fundamentally by their own advertising change uh, the immune system of that child for life, why it's gone from 20 to 70. To even ask that question, the news referees that and calls you anti-science when the two largest vaccine makers in the country are literally criminal enterprises. Uh, GlaxoSmithKline and Merck uh, in the past five years has settled two of the largest criminal penalties in American corporate history for bribing and misleading, uh, bribing doctors and misleading, uh, creating misleading research. Who, make, who are the two largest vaccine makers. So you literally have the media playing referee that you can't even ask a question. Uh, parent is actually... If you have a vaccine injury, and many people right. have, including some I know very well, uh, even a profound vaccine injury, you're not allowed to complain about it. No, 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 you're anti-science. You're anti even media, if it can be shown, it was, this is a vaccine the me, injury. The media, the media plays referee because they're funded. But so, so, so in all levels, right? Wow. On all levels. And, and I'm very not, dark, Callie means. Well, well, I think it's hopefully... Empowering. I, I think this is why we have an opportunity here, Tucker. Like Ozempic, this is not some like new, like, you know, it's kind of this funny thing. Like, you know, it's kind of vain. I can lose weight. This is going, the reason the stocks are going up is because this is going to be a lot of government money. This is going to be the highest funded drug from the U.S. taxpayer in history. We've got a society, when are we going to say, let's go another direction? Why are we trusting pharma now when they've been completely 
acting to, to garner no trust. We have to be basic here and incentivize better eating, better farming. <laughs> you know, think about public policy with the four trillion we just send on healthcare. How can Americans be more active? These are basic things, but these can these can be done. And just just two more quick ones. I mean, there's there's twenty of these, but you just have to go to the incentives. We you were surprised that the majority of um, university researchers and NIH grants go to conflicted um, researchers. Yeah, I was shocked. Tomorrow, the president can say. We're not going to touch NIH funding, but we're not going to issue grants anymore to people with conflicts of interest. That would sound like a reasonable policy to 95% of the American people. I think that's unimpeachable bipartisan policy. Of course. It, it will cause a conniption. The media the next day with their talking points would say it's the most anti-science. And, and yeah. NIH funding. Exactly. So you could do that. You could change ag subsidies, which are just tens of billions of dollars to process food. You could put uh, restrictions on university conflicts of interest, which are essentially R&D labs or pharma. Um, and I think a key one, Tucker, and you go back to the American Academy of Pediatrics, this isn't just some like industry group. The American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Diabetes Association, and these medical groups have statutory authority to create the standard of care for how we practice medicine in the United States. They are funded majority by pharma. So the groups that are literally have statutory power to create the standard of care for diabetes you just step back. Why aren't doctors in giving their patients subscription, uh, prescriptions for food interventions if they have prediabetes? Why aren't they giving them and prescribing them and allowing them to use their medically you know, tax advantage dollars to exercise? If you actually follow the science, that would be the correct medical intervention to reverse that. But we're so gaslighted by this you know, it just, it's just not even batting an eye that it's just pill, pill, pill. Americans follow incentives. It's what, what we're trying to do, TrueMed, is you can actually, a doctor actually can write a note for exercise and food. And that actually can open up medical tax advantage dollars and other insurance dollars. You actually, doctors could do that. But the second you get someone off the chronic disease treadmill, that's not a profitable patient. There's nothing more profitable for the pharmaceutical industry than, frankly, a sick kid. You know, you imagine a kid with prediabetes, inevitably they're obese, inevitably they have hypertension, inevitably they have heart issues. They're going to be, like my mom, much earlier on just a ton of drugs being told on each of those drugs that you're not curing anything. These are, these are conditions you need to manage for life. So, so, so we're getting people, there's a war to get kids on that bandwagon. We need to have the moral clarity, frankly, and communicate this like RFK is communicating it. There's something really resonating, and at the core of his message, is that we've really lost our way. This is a big issue. This corruption, it's corruption at the end of the day, which is destroying and profiting off, uh, destroying our kids, profiting on us being uh, sicker and addicted and, and, and depressed, quite frankly. This is a big issue we need to unwind. And frankly, President Trump has made some strong statements about this. I'd say watching the GOP debate, it's like watching a bizarre world. I mean, Rome is burning in a lot of ways. We have a corruption problem. And it sounds like they're at you know some cocktail party in 19... 88 GOP cocktail party. It, it, you know, it's not about the marginal tax rate. It's not about, no. you know, the Medicare Part D, page 300. Strength. Our, our biggest workers. industries, our biggest industry, the, the healthcare industry, is profiting from us being sick. It's just, it's just that simple. We need to unwind that or we're going to destroy our human capital and destroy our budget. If people have come to the end of this conversation and want to learn more, I never do this, but I think it's worth it with you mm -hmm. for sure. How can they learn more about your views on this? How can they learn more about these issues? What would you recommend? 
well, as we talked about, this is my life's passion with my sister who was a doctor who left the system. And I'll announce it right now. I've helped her write a book um, that's right, uh, just put on Amazon today uh, called Good Energy, Unwinding and, and Unpacking These Issues Using Her Experience in Medicine. We put our heart and soul into that book uh, to really unwind these issues, which we think are the most important issues in the country. And then my company is truemed.com and we help write food prescriptions. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's our company, but I want to say that I think it's the most important issue in the world. What we need to do is doctors need to follow the science. Doctors need to, when somebody has a metabolic condition, explain to them and incentivize them to practice better eating, to exercise. People listen to doctors. When we were told the food pyramid to eat carbs, we ate carbs. When we were told to take vaccines, we took vaccines. When we were told to stop smoking, smoking rates plummeted. We need every doctor and every medical leader, and frankly, I hope leaders like Elon who care about human capital and, 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 and our potential to say, we need to unwind this and we need to get back to root causes in America and talk about food, talk about exercise, talk about sleep. You can transform your life. These policies would transform things. You can change your biomarkers in three months if you go on a functional medicine type program and really have curiosity about what you're eating, your behavior. What if we had that message from our medical leaders? Um, so we're working on that with TrueMed and um, I'm on Twitter, uh, which I have mixed feelings about, but uh, talking about this on my Twitter, Callie Means. Callie Means, thank, thank you. you for that. Thank you. That was intense. Free speech is bigger than any one person or any one organization. Societies are defined by what they will not permit. What we're watching is the total inversion of virtue.